You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. On Worldview this week, Godwin's Law is a theory about online debate from an American called Mike Godwin. He suggests that as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler approaches one. In other words, certainty. Some say that the person who first links his opponent with the Nazis should be deemed to have lost the argument. But it is clear that from that moment, the argument is over. And what we have is a dialogue of the deaf. It's a form of going for the man, not the ball. All too characteristic, unfortunately, of online debate. The row about anti-Semitism the British Labour Party has become that, uh, largely an exercise in name-calling in which profoundly important issues and debate are being lost. But what are the limits of civilised discourse within a party or society? Did Ken Livingstone cross the line? And does it matter if, like Gerry Adams and the N-word, his intentions are the purest? I'm Patrick Smith. Worldview is an Irish Times podcast bringing you perspectives on foreign affairs from our global network of correspondents. I'm joined in studio this week for a debate on the meaning of anti-Semitism by Harry Brown, a lecturer in the School of Media in DIT and a member of Academics for Palestine. And by Yankee Fackler, a business consultant and member of the Jewish Representative Council of Ireland. And from London, Dennis Staunton, our London correspondent. Subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher to get Worldview delivered to you free of charge each week. First to Dennis. The sort of anti-Semitic comments which are giving rise to controversy in the British Labour Party are not new and certainly predate Jeremy Corbyn's rise. And for many years, Israel's defenders have complained of demonisation of Israel and have characterised many arguments as anti-Semitic. Why do you think that the issue has acquired such salience now? And were Ken Livington's remarks, whatever about him, anti-Semitic? Well, I think it's been bubbling away for the last few months uh, at different levels in the Labour Party. There have been various complaints, for example, in uh, uh, the Labour Society at Oxford University about you know, from uh, from Jewish members of the Labour Party that they had experienced anti-Semitism. And there have been a number of complaints, but it really sort of hit the headlines the last couple of weeks when uh, Bradford MP Naz Shah, it emerged that before she had become an MP, a couple of years ago, she had uh, she'd made a few Facebook postings. One was that she had uh, reposted uh, an image of the map of Israel superimposed on the United States, and suggest, uh, which suggested that uh, maybe Israel ought to be moved to the United States. And that actually had been taken from the website of Norman Finkelstein, who's um, uh, an American, a Jewish American academic, uh, a very, very uh, vociferous critic of Israel. And uh, in the American context, it's actually a fairly old joke, which is why not make Israel the 51st state? of the Union because then they'd only have two senators. But in the context of Britain, uh, you're without that context, it actually looked to some people as if she was suggesting, or this this post was suggesting, the transportation of uh, Israelis to the United States. She then also had made a comment when she was talking about some online poll where she said uh, it was encouraging people to vote and she said the Jews are rallying. So uh, so this all emerged uh, in the last couple of weeks. She made uh, an apology in the House of Commons and she has been uh, working with uh, various uh, Jewish groups and, uh, and and generally speaking she's perceived by, uh, by people here who have been critical of what they perceive as anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. She's perceived as having having behaved uh, rather well in terms of uh, how she's dealt with the issue. She was suspended from the Labour Party and 
And then Ken Livingston went um, on the radio and he was defending her. And in the course of his defense of her, he uh, he said that uh, in 1932 that uh, Hitler had before, as he put it, he had gone mad, that he had uh, supported the uh, the, the uh, deportation of uh, Jews to what he called Israel, what Ken Livingston called Israel, to uh, to Palestine, and he said that. Uh, so in a way, he said uh, that he uh, Hitler supported Zionism. And then he subsequently said, when he was asked about anti-Semitism, he said, well, the thing is that uh, you have to distinguish, you know, it's uh, to be anti-Semitic, you, you don't just hate the Jews in Israel, you would also hate the Jews in Golders Green or here around the corner. So, uh, so the first remark that he made was uh, historically, uh, obviously, rather sloppy and inaccurate insofar as there is clearly a distinction between uh, the involuntary uh, uh, movement of Jews from uh, from Germany to another part of the world with most of their money taken away from them and a voluntary movement uh, as Zionism uh, was and is. So, uh, so and, and also just the very fact of, uh, of dragging Hitler into, um, into something like this caused obviously a great deal of offence. And then the second, his definition of anti-Semitism did sound to many ears as if it was a bit anti-Semitic itself. Well, are there real grievances within within uh, the the party and society about the culture of the debate? Well, obviously there there is physical fear among uh, Jewish communities, both in Britain and elsewhere in Europe, uh, because of the uh, the spate of terrorist attacks, some of which have been directed at Jewish people. And so, for example, in some schools here in London, which would have you know state schools, but which would have uh, a large population of Jewish children, uh, they've had to put uh, they've put extra security. Security on, and, they, and, and so children are passing. Uh, all of this uh, quite heavy security to go to school. I think where the Labour Party is concerned, the issue is not so much anything to do with uh, physical violence or anything uh, anything as crude as that. It's more uh, even, I think, a question of association. That's uh, that in recent years, uh, some people on the uh, on the sort of the anti-imperialist uh, left of the Labour Party might have found themselves sharing uh, a demonstration demonstration with some people that they would disagree with on in many ways, like some radical Islamists who would be on anti-war demonstrations or pro-Palestinian demonstrations. And while these Labour Party members wouldn't associate themselves with some of the anti-Semitic, and some of these people are, are, are very candidly anti-Semitic, they wouldn't associate themselves with any of these anti-Semitic uh, statements. There is a, a perception, I think, that uh, that they have been less, uh, less quick to condemn and to dissociate themselves from that sort of uh, that sort of anti-Semitic expression than they would, for example, be from these people's views on LGBT issues or women's rights. So I think it's a question of uh, it's a, it's it's not really quite so much what specifically a lot of these Labour Party members are saying, but just a kind of a perceived uh, an, an attitude and a sense that uh, that they're really rather relaxed about the idea of anti-Semitism, and then that also just sometimes the terminology is at least to put it at its lowest, it's a bit sloppy in terms of uh, speaking perhaps about a Jewish lobby when perhaps they may they may want to be talking about a pro-Israel lobby. You know, so I think it's 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 it, it tends to be a lot of that kind of culture that that is alarming to people. Now, unusually, this election cycle has seen identity politics more or less coming centre stage. And in the London elections, there have been attacks by the Tory uh, candidate on the Labour candidate uh, that have been described as racist. 
Yes, there's been a really vicious uh, campaign run by Zach Goldsmith, who's the uh, Conservative Party candidate, against Sadiq Khan, who's uh, who is the Labour Party candidate for mayor, who's a Muslim. He's a, a, a very, very liberal uh, politician. He supported same-sex marriage, unlike most members of the uh, conserv- the Parliamentary Conservative Party, and uh, and and so he's he's in a sense the embodiment of uh, of the uh, of the the liberal uh, multicultural uh, society that London is. And so people are asking, if you can't vote for a Muslim like this Muslim, which Muslim can you vote for? And so it has been in a really, really unpleasant smear. And I think it is also, it is worth saying that uh, you know, there is no question, but in terms of the numbers uh, of uh, of attacks and in terms of prejudice, that, uh, that anti-Semitism, while it may be a worry, uh, Islamophobia and anti-Muslim expression now, Muslim prejudice is more obviously rampant and uh, and is more obvious problem, but but one doesn't obviously um, uh, make the other any less uh, less important. But certainly, that is the the context partly in which this is happening. That uh, that uh, Sadiq Khan is being. Uh, smeared as being somehow radical and extremist, certain co- sort of code words which imply that he's in some way padding around with terrorists, to use Sarah Palin's words about uh, about Barack Obama, and uh, and this uh, and so uh, for many people in the Labour Party, they see this whole controversy over anti-Semitism in the Labour Party as coming at a time uh, when it's particularly useful both to the enemies of the Labour Party, but also to the enemies of Jeremy Corbyn within the Labour Party. Now, turning to both Yankee and and Harry, um, we agree, presumably, that anti-Semitism is a bad thing and that there are manifestations of it in Western societies and in the Arab population, just as there are within the Jewish community internationally manifestations of racist anti-Arab attitudes. But how how do you define anti-Semitism? Where do you see the line between legitimate criticism of Israel and anti-Semitism? Statements can be wrong factually or politically objectionable, but why do some constitute an unacceptable speech? Yankee. Well, I think that Jews are particularly sensitive about anti-Semitism based on several hundred years of real experience. This this isn't um, narrative. This isn't in a history book. This is Jewish communities around the world, both in uh, Europe, um, feeling the effects of Christian anti-Semitism, and in later centuries, uh, Jews in the uh, North Africa, especially feeling the effects of, um, if you like, Arab anti-Semitism or Muslim anti-Semitism. Um, Jews are sensitive to the fact that they have often been the target of verbal and physical attacks, culminating, of course, in the. Uh, in the Holocaust, which was this horrendous bloodletting of six million Jews. So for when Jews talk about anti-Semitism, it's not just a chat. It is in the DNA. And Harry? Yeah, I'm, I would say that, uh, you know, the, the tolerance for anti-Semitism among the pro-Palestinian movements in the West in general is extraordinarily low. There's a fierce, fierce uh, uh, eagerness to disassociate oneself from any expression of anti-Semitism. And I know this from the public out 
speeches of people in the pro-Palestinian movement, but I also know it from behind the scenes, how little tolerance there is, how the instant defriending of people on Facebook who have a third-degree connection with anybody who's expressed the, even the slightest anti-Semitic uh, notion. So I would say that the, to associate the pro-Palestinian movement in Britain, in the United States, in Ireland, with anti-Semitism, I think, is is false. And I think more, I think that it usually arises, it usually arises when Israeli uh, crimes are um, at their worst. The accusations of anti-Semitism come rolling out against people who criticize Israel. And I think, as Dennis has pointed out, in this context, there is also the additional use of the anti-Semitism canard as a way to uh, to back the Zach Goldsmith campaign. And finally, and we haven't mentioned this, and maybe Dennis would talk about it, uh, within the Parliamentary Labour Party, it's clearly being used as a strategy against Jeremy Corbyn and his associates. So I think that there's, you know, there's a, a real sense in which, sure, anti-Semitism is disgusting. It's something that we should fight at every turn. But it, it is the case, again, as Dennis suggested, Muslims are really the victims of, of more and more systemic oppression across Europe and across the West in a way that, that thankfully, Jews are no longer. Uh, and so while we should combat every expression of uh, of anti-Semitism, we should also resist this equation of Israel with Judaism that itself invites the conflation of anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. Now, there are obvious markers of anti-Semitism, the demonization of Jews, the recital of sort of poisonous historical caricatures of character, of features. But are other types of political statement beyond the line per se um, for example, Holocaust denial, is that, a, is, is, is that per se anti-Semitic? Absolutely. I mean, yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. And both, yeah. both of you would, would be agreed on that. Denial of the right of the state of Israel to exist. Okay. Well, here I think we come to another um, need for definition, and that is Zionism, because the word Zionism is thrown into the pot in almost any debate about anti-Semitism, What's the difference between anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism? And I think that at the heart of the matter is a real core misunderstanding about what Zionism is. Zionism is the right of the Jewish people to live safely in their own land. That's been the official um, definition of Zionism for about 120, 130 years. And without having the name of Zionism, it's what characterized Jewish communities for the last 2,000 years. So where I think the problem is, anti-Zionism today, as it is bandied around in debate, actually means against the government policies of the modern, or which of the current, whenever that is, Israeli government. And I think that these are two very different things. So... Anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, because of the sloppy definition, often does come to the same thing, because people do not say, I am against the policy of the Netanyahu government or the Shamir government or the Sharon government or the Begin government or whichever government. When that is not said, often what happens is the conflation that you were talking about, uh, Harry, between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. And it feels like that on the receiving end. As a Zionist, as a Jew, I find it very difficult often in the debate to distinguish between the two because the anti-Zionism is, and you alluded to this earlier, anti-Zionism is really about the delegitimization 
of the Jews having a state in Israel. And is that is that issue of the right to the Israel of the Israelis to a state um, acceptable part of the discourse? I think that that should be on the table. It seems to me that if you that that su- the support for Israel, for the policies of Israeli governments, but also for the foundation of Israel, has to be seen for what it is, a dehumanization, a form of racism, just as much as anti-Semitism is a form of racism. And we also have to acknowledge, I think, and this is where Ken Livingston comes in, and God knows I won't defend him, he, he can and will defend himself, the idea that there's a kind of a historic symbiosis between anti-Semitism and Zionism in the kind of shared premise that Jewish people shouldn't or can't live in societies where they are a minority. That, it seems to me, is part of the, the history that this kind you know, and many political movements have had many, you know, historical associations that we wouldn't want to tar them with through, you know, throughout history. So I don't consider that to be sort of dispositive of the question of Zionism just because there was a, a kind of historic alliance with anti-Semitism at times. But I think it's important to understand that the the issue about Israel is not whether or not it represents the aspirations of the majority of Jewish people. I mean, for most of uh, the history of the idea of Zionism, it was a minority current in the Jewish community. The issue about Israel is what has it done to the fundamental rights of the Palestinian people whose land it controls, who it murders on a regular basis, who it places under siege in Gaza, who it denies the democratic rights of a people under occupation. So the the, uh, statement as a matter of, of principle that uh, the Israeli state does not have a, a right to exist is not inherently uh, anti-Semitic. No, I don't think it's, I don't think that would be true of any state. That to say that it's that it should be open to question, that it should be open to negotiation, that it should be open to discussion, that it should be open. Certainly, we're not talking. You know, we're talking about. And I'm part of an international campaign to bring pressure on the Israeli state to end its occupation of uh, of the. Uh, the West Bank and Gaza, and to do that through peaceful means. So we're not talking about an, an eliminationist program. The Zionist people, Jewish people, have a place in Israel. There's no question about that. They have a place in Palestine, and that place should be respected. But whether it should be restrict, respected under the aegis of a uh, religious state that denies the rights of the indigenous people who live on the territory of that state, that's a different question. And is and Israel in the Middle East, sure. This particular state of Israel with these policies, I think that that should be on the table. Um, one of the, the arguments that has provoked uh, the Israeli government most ferociously uh, in recent times is the description of Israel as an apartheid state. And... Um, there, the again. Do you regard that comment right or wrong as beyond the bounds of of civilized discourse? I, I regard it as roughly in the same category as Livingstone's. Um, uh, and I'm quoting from what he said. Um, Both the Nazis and the Zionists wanted to preserve their ethnic purity, and that's why they had a working relationship. This is absolute rubbish. And I have to say, I disagree fundamentally with just about every single thing that Harry just said, apart from a wish to have a peaceful um, uh, outcome um, in, in the Middle East. But as far as using these terms, apartheid state, I mean, nobody who's been to Israel could ever say that. You just couldn't. It's, it's almost, it's impossible because it is so absolutely wrong. I, I, 
that, that's it. I've got, I, you know, I'm not going to get into a semantic argument about it because it is so fundamentally um, a, a, a bad description of anything that anyone who knows Israel could possibly come up with. Its accuracy is up for discussion. Whether it's anti-Semitic in itself to use that, I think, is, uh, I, I think is not, shouldn't even be entertained. I think it's certainly many people who are victims of apartheid in South Africa have traveled throughout Israel and Palestine and do regard that analogy. Yes, and many haven't. Valid. And many, yeah. and many have been and have said anyone, and there's a South Africans talking, and I'm talking about black South Africans, not white South Africans. And they say, we lived under apartheid. This is nothing like apartheid. And yes, I do think that anyone who uses a pejorative term like apartheid in this discussion is definitely skirting on the boundaries of anti-Semitism. Well, I didn't, in fact, use it, but, yeah. I, but I would defend the right to use it. Yeah, I, I think that that's an important distinction. Now, Harry, uh, Jonathan Friedland, in an article in The Guardian, has argued that with racism, with sexism, with homophobia, progressives accept the right of the targeted community to define what it is that they regard as manifestations of prejudice and beyond the mm. pale, and that there's a double standard with Israel and there's a double standard with, with the, the issues that we're discussing. I think that was a really interesting point, but I think it's really important to point out that a very significant number of Jewish people insist that this argument needs to happen. Just in your own newspaper on Monday, Ronit Lenton and David Landy, two Jews who live here in Ireland, Ronit herself an Israeli, were making the point that one needs to be able to speak out against Zionism without being accused of anti-Semitism. Uh, I take my lead very much on uh, in my views on Palestine from the conscientious viewpoints of Jewish people like that. I do accept what Friedland said, though, that the majority of Jewish people now do regard the defense of Israel, and what Yankee has said, do regard the defense of Israel as an important part of their identity. I want to have that argument with them. I want to talk about how we can make that better. Um, but Sure, acknowledging that it's, a, that it's a sensitivity, acknowledging that it should be talked about with humanity and respect, that we should listen to Israelis uh, when they, and to non-Israeli Jews from around the world when they put forward their view and their view that it's anti-Semitic. I think that should be done and should be done with respect, I think, as, as we've had here today. I read the same article by Lenton and Landy, and one sentence jumped out because most of it was predictable. I have read their material before and nothing really surprised me. But one sentence jumped, jumped out for me and they said, the growing accusations of anti-Semitism against critics of Israel are aimed at discrediting the BDS movement. That's the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions movement. And I, I read that and I said, this is, this is turning the world on its head. Suddenly we're, we're worried about discrediting the BDS movement? No, surely not. That is not the issue and it is not the debate. The debate is, is the legitimate state of Israel that is being discredited. But to, to whine about the BDS movement being discredited, I find that bordering on ludicrous. But we do know that the Israeli government has put a lot of resources, a lot of political resources and quite, a lot of and money rightly. directly into combating BDS. And they do see BDS as a potential threat and they do acknowledge that calling it anti-Semitic is part of the strategy for fighting BDS. Now they may do that quite sincerely. I'm not suggesting that it's always a cynical ploy, but nonetheless I think that uh, that we do have to see the the use of this term, I think a, a, a very nasty term of abuse, anti-Semitic, and as being connected to what really is a growing international movement that attempts to isolate Israel by peaceful means 
to in order to bring about a change in its policy. Yeah. I, I just want to come back because I think what uh, Harry was saying earlier in re response to Jonathan Friedland's argument was very interesting about listening to fears that, that are, are, are in the, the Jewish community. And I would make an analogy with, with travellers. And some of them have argued that the refusal to acknowledge that they are a distinct community constitutes unacceptable anti-traveller prejudice. And and similarly, it again, it's it's how are we listening to the Jewish community and their fears? Is there a presumption that they're just misguided and that they their their fears are not to be considered on a par with those of Palestinians, for example? Well, no, not at all. And uh, but I do think that analogies with with oppressed groups like travellers uh, in in the context of the 21st century are are somewhat misguided, if I may say so. But but I do think that, uh, you know, we listen by practicing politics. I'm involved in a boycott, but that boycott by no means uh, involves cutting off contact. It means trying to uh, reject connections with Israeli institutions, with the institutions that back the state, that back the occupation, that back the siege of Gaza, that back the, uh, that support the, the murderous weaponry and the checkpoints that inflict violence on Palestinians every single day. But that does not mean not talking to Israelis. It actually means exactly the opposite. I have tried to uh, engage with Israelis, and not only Israelis who share my views, but Israelis who, who have different views. I try to do that as much as possible. Now, Dennis, one of the arguments made uh, uh, here, and I think in Britain as well, is that, is that with, in, on the left there is an obsession with uh, Israel and Palestine and that other, quote, oppressive regimes are, are ignored. Uh, how strong is that argument? Well, it's not. I think they're not entirely ignored, but it's certainly there's no question. But there seems to be that there is an awful lot more energy uh, in terms of the uh, a lot of the Palestine uh, solidarity movements than, for example, movements uh, that are uh, protesting against the dictatorship in China, for example, or in uh, various other parts of the world. In fact, there's very little, uh, really, that you see here uh, in Britain apart from some ethnic Chinese uh, groups uh, who are really uh, doing very much about China. Likewise, where Russia is concerned, so, there's, so uh, there, are, uh, there are various uh, uh, either unpleasant or controversial regimes that don't get nearly as much attention as the, uh, as the occupation uh, of, uh, the, uh, of the West Bank and Gaza do. Uh, now, there, there, there are lots of reasons uh, why that's the case, but it is, I think, uh, I think it's true that, uh, when, uh, when the, both Israelis in Israel and elsewhere will say, why do, you keep, uh, you know, why do you keep going on about this? Is there nowhere else in the world that you could look at? But of course, having said that, that's not any reason why one ought to turn a blind eye to uh, injustice in yeah, that part of the world. Yankee, two wrongs don't make a right. Is that right? I, I, I absolutely agree, and as I said earlier, I think that in the debate, we need to make a much sharper distinction between what anyone might think about a government policy by the Israeli government, just as one would do the same with the Irish government, the British government, or the American government, and between the fundamental right of the Jews to have their own state. And I often get the uncomfortable feeling that many people are uncomfortable with the very idea that the Jews who were the target of being kicked, and kicked about and, and worse over many, many hundreds of years suddenly have their own state and it's viable. And I think this makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Can I just very quickly give a very small example of where, and we were talking about boundaries and, and where does one become the other. There was a, a large demonstration a few years ago in my hometown in, in Dundalk. 
and it was an anti-Israel rally. And I decided that I was going to have a counter-demonstration, a one-man counter-demonstration, and I stood in the center of, the, uh, uh, of Dundalk. Um, I'd spoken to the guards just to make certain that um, uh, nothing would happen to me. And I had a, a banner making my own statement about the Israeli government has the right to protect its um, Muslim, Christian, and Jewish citizens. And the level of debate was that the only people, or the, sort of the only reaction that I really got from the, dem from the demonstrators at the rally were Nazi salutes. Now, as a Jew, as a Zionist, and as a Jew who lost his grandparents in the Holocaust, this, you don't, you don't need much imagination to, to equate this with pure anti-Semitism. It's where people totally misconstrue what Zionism or anti-Israelism or anti-Semitism is, and it's like, well, if you're a Zionist, and if you're an open pro-Israel person, then Nazi salutes is what you deserve. Now, this was an isolated incident, but it is not totally out of the realm of what is going on. Harry, uh, an obsession with Israel uh, to the exclusion of other, other regimes. Well, I've certainly been involved in protesting other regimes, but I do think... Uh, you know, that we have a special, special responsibility in relation to the crimes of Israel. We do in Europe have a very special relationship with Israel, including trade and partnership, academic exchanges, research. The United States, my home country, is obviously the, the main sponsor of uh, the Israeli state. So I do feel uh, that Israel is a special case because the support from the West is what makes the Israeli crimes against the Palestinian people possible. And it seems to me that not only is there that responsibility, there has been the sense of what a solution might look like on the table for a long time. This is not a problem that should be as intractable as it's proven to be. A respect for the national rights of both the Israeli people and the Palestinian people should not be beyond the bounds of politics. And um, so I think campaigning by people in the West, I think it's understandable given the historic responsibility of people in the West for anti-Semitism, the historic responsibility for the establishment of the Jewish state, the responsibility for the maintenance of Israel and of Israel's abuses against Palestinians, and the potential for a solution that is not so remote, make it seem to me that, uh, an issue on which we really have a great responsibility to work hard. Thanks to Yankee Fackler, Harry Brown and Dennis Staunton, to our producer Declan Conlon and on sound Rob O'Sullivan. Subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher to get Worldview delivered to you free of charge each week.